a very simple reminder, but nevertheless, it's so true. How often we spend times worrying, how often we spend times basically paralyzed by the the fears that we have of what could happen that may never happen to us. And you know, the devil wants us to be fearful. The devil wants us to be paralyzed and shut down to the point that we're of no use to the kingdom of heaven. We live in a time, and I often, I hate to sound like a broken record, but we live in a time when they're rioting out in the streets, they're making a lot of noise, they're opposed to many things that are good, and they're for many things that are no good. And as a church, we find ourselves so afraid that we're going to offend someone by telling the truth, by proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And I believe that we live in a time when we ought to not be ashamed to tell people about Jesus Christ. We ought to be out in the streets preaching the gospel, telling people that the end is coming according to the Scriptures. And we believe it. We believe the end is coming. But we see so many people running in fear, so many people afraid, afraid of this and afraid of that. And I believe it's all a scam of the devil to shut us down, shut us up, where we won't be proclaiming Christ to a lost and dying world. You know, the, the world is lost. According to the Scriptures, the world is going to end in a ball of flame, and there's going to be people that are going to perish. There are people that's not going to be ready when Christ calls the church out. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you tonight but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't have a lot of wisdom. I don't have a great deal of education, but I can tell you this. I know who my Savior is. I know who's coming to receive me one day after a while. I know He's going to prepare, to prepare a place for me that is going to blow my mind. I look for that. I long for that. I yearn for, for that. As a deer pants... For the water brooks, that's where I'm at tonight. I long for his return. I long to be in, in the glorious place that he's going to prepare. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I know you're not either. But we're, we've been taught to, to stay quiet. We've been taught to be nice little Christians and, and, and don't offend nobody. Don't shake things up too much. You're you, you, you may turn people away because they're offended. Let me tell you something. The gospel is offensive. That's the truth. The true gospel is offensive. It offends those who do not want to hear the truth. But listen, it is honey to your lips if you're searching for the truth. It's the good news. It's the best news that the world could ever have. And Sister Barbara, we were talking about the news earlier and all of the, of the garbage and all that, that, that we see, that things that like we, we thought we would never see in our lifetime, and here we are. And we believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. But you're the church. You're the church of now. You're the church of today. 
Let's not get quiet on the Lord. Let's not get quiet when people need to hear the truth more now than ever before. This is not even part of my message. But I think about God's goodness. I think about how wonderful He is to each and every one of us. Consider the lilies. Consider how good He's been to you. I've not missed one meal. Pastor Steve was talking this morning. I've not missed a meal that I ever wanted to eat. I've tried to miss a few to cut back a little bit. But I've had plenty to eat. I've had, always had clothes to wear. I've always had a roof over my head. God has been good to me. And He's been good to you. So, I said all that to say, let's turn, uh, if you will, in the book of John. John chapter 7, verse 53. It's a very short verse, and then we'll roll over into verse, uh, into chapter 8. Everyone went to his home. Verse 1 of chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Everyone, or early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. In the very act. Now in the, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is that without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? He said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the blessed hope that we, that we find in it. Oh, Lord, how it encourages us, how it strengthens us. It's a pool of, of living water to our souls. Every time we go to it, it, it just fills us up. It quenches our thirst. It gives us peace and comfort in the times of trouble. Lord, we're so thankful for every letter of your word. Lord, tonight we pray that you give us clarity of mind a heart that is anxious to receive what you, you have to say tonight. Lord, lead and guide me as I try to speak in clarity. Have your way in this service tonight, Lord. 
May you receive glory in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we've been going through the book of John now, it seems like, for since the first of the year. And um, we're just now at the eighth chapter. We've been disrupted several times with having to cancel church. And, but here we are in the eighth chapter. And we just came through the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus went down into, into Jerusalem. And there he taught, and some people basically got angry. They got angry at Jesus because he told the truth. Of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the scribes were always there to confront him. We're not told in this instance whether Jesus slept under the stars of the sky there on the Mount of Olives or if he stayed in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus on the eastern side of the hill. But it simply says that everyone, in verse 53, everyone went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. To me, these two verses are very, very sad verses. Everyone else went home. Everyone else went back to the comforts of their home. But Jesus went up on the hillside, the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine the creator of all things, the creator of all of the universe, who left his glorious place in heaven? And he himself didn't have a place to lay his head. He himself, he didn't seek the comforts of this world. All but we seek them with all of our heart, with all of our strength. We seek comfort. We seek pleasure. We seek the, the, the security of the world that is not security at all. One phone call can change everything, can it? One phone call can change everything. One chest pain can change everything. One car accident can change everything. There's no security in this world. The only security that can be found is that which is in heaven, where our treasures are to be laid up. That's where the security is, where moth and rust can't destroy. But the Lord Jesus had no place to stay. The Bible says that he went to the Mount of Olives, which is a hill on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus would go up on this hillside and he would look over the valley, the Kidron Valley. And he could look down over the city of Jerusalem. He could look down over Solomon's temple where he had met with uh, the people teaching them earlier that day. But the Mount of Olives would rise a couple of hundred feet above the city. And all he could see over that city I'm going to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up even higher today. And he can see all things. There's nothing hidden from him. Everything is, is open to him. Your life is an open book and my life is an open book to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one thing is hid from him. But Jesus often retreats to the Mount of Olives, the Bible teaches. He would, he would frequently look for a place of solitude. 
He'd look for a quiet place to get along with the Father and pray. Oh, how we let the troubles of the world burden us where we can't even pray sometimes. We just get alone somewhere and pray. How much more powerful we could be. Because as Pastor Steve was teaching this morning, anxiety and fear, those things is what paralyzes us. It shuts us down from being effective, from being about the Father's business because we're so afraid of what may come up against us. After ministering to the crowds, the Lord sent them away. And he would often, as I said, he would, he would withdraw to a quiet place where he would get along with the Father and pray. Verse 2 says, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Early. He didn't sleep half the day away. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Jesus was an early riser. He wasn't, he wasn't lazy at all. He rose early the next morning. He came down from the Mount of Olives, and he came again into the temple courtyard where he knew he would be met with adversity. How often do we jump out of bed every morning knowing that we're going to be met with adversity, knowing that the enemy was going to attack as soon as we got settled where we thought our day was going to go pretty good. Jesus was one who would speak in a way that no one else ever was able to. He, he was one that spoke. The Bible teaches that he spoke as one that had authority. Remember those soldiers that came to arrest him? They said, we've never heard a man speak the way this man speaks. Jesus came back into the temple. There was no announcement. There was no pomp. There was no celebration. He himself came back to the temple, and all of the people were coming to him. I wonder why they were, they were coming to him. They were coming to him because they knew there was hope to be found in him. He spoke as no one else has ever spoke before. Truth is priceless. I'd rather have one truth as a thousand lies, wouldn't you? Truth is priceless. And the Lord was telling them the truth. The people were coming to Herod's temple to, to hear the amazing things that Jesus had to say. Somewhere in the temple complex, he simply sat down and he began to teach. Oh, if we'd just sit down sometimes and talk and teach. And have a conversation. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. His teaching was soon interrupted by a commotion that was brought about by the scribes and the Pharisees. You know the story. We just read it. John tells us in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman that they caught in adultery. We know what that is. I won't explain it. A woman was caught in adultery. And they set her in the center of the court. The scribes and the Pharisees, they barged right into the crowd that Jesus was 
he was teaching in. Could you imagine? We're here in the church, and we're, and we're trying to uh, exposit upon the, the, the Word of God, and they, and they, and they bring in uh, some woman who has been caught in adultery, and they're ready to kill her right here in front of all of us. That's what this was. The scribes and the Pharisees, they barged in and they were uh, in, into Jesus' teaching time there. And they brought to him a woman that, ca- that was caught in adultery. But let me tell you, it takes two in this kind of sin, doesn't it? This kind of sin requires two individuals. Adultery was defined as, as sexual relations between two people. At least one of them is married to a different person. The penalty for adultery was execution of both individuals. Though stoning was not specified, in Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, or and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Pretty serious, isn't it? The accusation against this woman may or may not have been true since her accusers themselves proved to make false accusations against the Lord. These were liars to begin with. As we'll see, they didn't bring this woman to Jesus because they wanted to liberate Jerusalem. They wasn't really concerned about all the sin in Jerusalem. They brought her to Jesus for the purpose of tripping Jesus up. It wasn't so much about the adultery. That was an excuse. The motives of the the scribes and Pharisees were to trick the Lord into saying something wrong so that they could find a fault to charge against him. You see, it was really Jesus was the one on trial here. When the woman standing in the middle, with, or with the woman standing in the middle of the crowd, verse 4 says, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. As I said, it, it, really, it really isn't the woman that's on trial here. They're looking for fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were demanding a rule from him. They wanted to hear, what are you going to say about this? The scoundrel said here in verse 5, Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were clearly, they clearly identified her sin. It was sin. It still is sin. And they knew the law that was against this sin. They knew the penalty. But they were willing to kill her, let her die in order to trip Jesus up. And notice how they frame their question. They, they emphatically point out the law that Moses commanded us, clearly intending to test Moses' commands against Jesus' response. What then do you say, they say? I hope you see the intent here. What then do you say? This was to twist and slander from the start, that was their intentions, was to twist and to slander Jesus. 
Jesus was not a judge. He was not a member of the Sanhedrin. Why were they bringing him to Jesus? He was a teacher. If they were really interested in adhering to the law, the very law of Moses required that both man and woman be brought to be executed. Where was the man? The accusation that she was caught in the very act, there should have been a man there too. And if justice was all they really wanted, why didn't they bring the man? Where was he? Why bring the woman to Jesus at all? Why not try here in their own course? Why not listen to this, these accusations in their court? They had a court for this. But they brought her to Jesus to see if they could trip him up with his own words. They knew Jesus has preached compassion. They knew Jesus had preached mercy and grace and love. The Pharisees' motives were quite obvious. They were simply using this woman in an attempt to trap Jesus. By their asking, what then do you say? Verse 6 says, They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. You see, because of the sanctity of marriage, the sin of adultery was and still is a serious offense, church, despite what modern-day teachings may be. It is still a serious offense against the command of God. I'll go on record saying that. But here John makes it clear that the Pharisees were, were merely setting a trap using this woman's sin to do it. Jesus had neither been sought out for guidance nor to serve as a member of the scribal authorities. Jesus was the one on trial. I hope you see that tonight. It was the Lord that was on trial. Anything that Jesus said could and eventually would be held against him to justify his arrest, to justify his execution upon the cross of Calvary. They were testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. All oh, but Jesus in his marvelous wisdom, in his wisdom, Jesus didn't respond in the way that they wanted him to. In fact, he seemed oblivious to their question. He stooped down, that is, he bent down. Can you just picture that in your mind? The Lord of glory, he bends down and takes his finger and he writes or traces something on the ground. We can speculate from here to the end of time. We don't know what he wrote. Some want to say forgiven. Some want to say have mercy on her. But that's speculation. We don't know what Jesus, Jesus was writing or tracing on, on the ground. We only know that it was not essential to the story at all. Or it would have been recorded. Silence is golden, isn't it? They just couldn't, they couldn't figure out why is he not answering us. He's down there playing on the ground. He's writing something on the ground. The fact that he didn't immediately answer, answer was troubling to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
He had trouble with this. Why isn't he answering us? Is he ignoring us? Cat got his tongue. What's going on? But Jesus, his delay, his delayed response only exposed their true intent. They were angry. They were upset. They were mad. They were tore all to pieces. They were, they were troubled. They were troubled at Jesus. And Jesus' uh, uh, delayed response only angered them more. And, and it exposes their eagerness to pummel this woman to her death and to be able to have an accusation against him. As I said, Jesus has been teaching a message filled with mercy, grace, and hope. So with fire in their eyes and a desire to kill, they persisted. And verse 7 says, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I would have to throw, throw my stone down myself. But again, verse 8 says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, here he is on the ground again. All he said is, he that is without sin, be the first to cast a stone. Hmm. According to the law, the witnesses to a capital offense, if someone saw you in an act of adultery, they would be required to be the first one to cast the stone. They were the one to get the first lick in on that person. And the Lord knew this. And the Lord's reply was simple, but his reply was profound. It upheld the law since they did not deny, he didn't deny the woman's guilt. He didn't try to defend her. He didn't try to make an excuse for her. Well, she just didn't mean to. But instead, he, he avoided their straightforward question and broadened the law's power by exposing the sins of the accusers. For them to make a decision at this time would have broken the law. It was almost avoided the charge of instigating an execution in violation of Roman authority since the Lord, since the Lord put the responsibility back on her accusers. You're the accusers of her. If you're without sin, you cast the first stone. It's obvious to us that Jesus was truly the only one who could have rightly threw a stone. Jesus was the only one who was without sin among them who could have thrown a stone. But Jesus in no way made light of the woman's sin. He, made, he did not make light of what she had done. He did not deny the holiness of God's perfect law, but he simply revealed their hypocrisy and their unfitness to judge just like I'm unfit to judge, just like we're all unfit to judge. Then he again stooped down and he wrote on the ground. See, the Lord went to the heart 
of the conscience of these men. And they recognized their condition under the law. They were unfit before God. Now, here in their response, verse 9 says, When they heard it, they began to go, one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Now, some manuscripts read that these men were convicted by their conscience. Even though these wicked men intended to entrap Jesus, they still had a conscience. They still had a conscience. As soon as he pierces their conscience with his word, shame puts them to flight. You see, man is without excuse. God gave us all a conscience. Those out there in the highways and hedges that we're to compel to come in, God gave them a conscience. They're responsible because He gave them a conscience. I believe the conscience is is the last defense against complete and utter lawlessness. Our very conscience is what keeps us from doing such evil that we would do otherwise. The Scripture says, but Jesus was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the center of the court, And we're told that the accusers left, but the Scriptures do not tell us if the crowd, if the crowd that Jesus had been teaching, if they had left or not. We're not told. Either way, the focus of this narrative is on the Lord and on the woman. It's as if they're the only ones in that courtyard. Though it doesn't say, we can assume that the woman was trembling with fear. You know, we don't even know her name. We don't know her name. It doesn't say how she was crying. It doesn't say how she was weeping. It doesn't say how she was scared or frightened or begging for her life. But I believe she was trembling with fear. She was caught in the very act of adultery, and it looked as if she was certainly going to die here in this place. And just as Jesus rose to address the accusers, he now rises to address the accused. In verse 10, he straightened up and Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Standing to his feet, Jesus addresses this woman. Now, this term woman is not to be taken as an insult. He wasn't being disrespectful to her at all. He called his, his own mother woman. It's actually uh, a, a respectable way to speak to her. Not at all surprised, Jesus asked her, where are they? Where did they go? Did no one condemn you? In other words, did anyone th- throw a rock at you? Are you hurt? Are you injured? She said, no, Lord. No, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now, here we find the only word spoken by the accused woman. She doesn't say there's nothing else that's recorded here. When he asked, did no one condemn you? I can picture her in my mind answering him with trembling and with tears streaming down her face. 
No, Lord. No one. And Jesus gives her the sweetest words that any human being could ever hear. He said, I do not condemn you either. Church, this is good news. This is good news for this woman. And this is good news for those today who need Jesus Christ. Those who have not surrendered their life to Jesus. There's coming a time when he is going to condemn. There's there's coming a time when he is going to judge. This was not the time. Now is still not the time. But there's going to come a time when every individual is going to stand before God and give an account. If you can't relate to these words, I do not condemn you either, then it may be that your heart is hardened. Because each one of us comes to God like this woman did. We come to, we come to Him guilty. Absolutely guilty. Completely, utterly guilty. Guilty as sin. Ashamed, naked, and exposed to the one who can read the very mind that you have in your head. He knows it all. And we stand before him tonight completely exposed. Nothing tucked away. It's by the grace and mercy of God that any person is ever saved. That's why we believe in election. That's why we we teach in the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. It's all of Him. All of salvation is of Him. He ran me down. He found me. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me in the muck and the mire of the world. He found me in in my sinful place. He cleaned me up. And He's still working on me. He's still working on you. Forgiveness, I want to point out that forgiveness doesn't imply a license to sin. He forgave this woman. Jesus didn't condemn her, but He did command her to abandon her sinful lifestyle. He told her, plain as day. Go, from now on, sin no more. Do we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Grace is abounded. His grace abounds, but it's not to be trampled upon. Jesus told her, don't do this anymore. Be done with this kind of life. Go now in your forgiveness and sin no more. Church, this is for us today. There are many today that believe that you can continue in sin and proclaim Jesus Christ. I weep and I'm in anguish when I sin, when I fall short. And that's a daily, that's a daily uh, occurrence. Those who are forgiven should gladly put aside their sinful ways. And walk in newness of life. Do you believe that? The Bible says there is a, there's a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is destruction. 
Let's not trample on the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live as holy and dedicated to Christ as we can. Despite what 2020 preachers, 2020 teachers, 2020 churches will will teach you, I believe if you go into the Bible, as Pastor Steve was talking about, he was going through uh, the the, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and went into Acts, and it had an effect upon him. It'll have an effect upon each and every one of us. We get into God's Word, and we find out that God says what He means, and He means what He says. And oh, how, how the waters can get, can get muddy when we don't go directly to the head of the spring. We go directly to the Word of God, and we can't be fooled. So I encourage you, go into, the, into, the, into God's Word and read it yourself. There's no greater joy than living for Christ. Right? There's no greater joy than living for Him. I'm glad I've got a home waiting, aren't you? I'm glad there's a brighter day coming that will never end. And the S-O-N will be the light of that city for all of eternity. I wouldn't miss it for this old world, would you? No, sir. Stand with me if you will. I'm done. Any prayer requests before we go 